Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday, I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you, designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to the February 12th solo episode. Let's get stuck into some travel news. Travel news. So today's first bit of news is from Breaking Travel News. And it's about Inclusive Morocco, which is the first LGBTQ plus founded and led luxury tour company in Morocco. Now, I don't normally do luxury. It's not my bag, but they have a 100% Moroccan team and it operates with sustainability at its compass, embedding eco-conscious practices and community engagement into the core of its operations. But clearly the most important part here is active engagement through the LGBTQ plus community. And it's probably a subject I don't cover enough on my podcast. But they are working with non-profit organisations such as High Atlas Foundation, Association Dana, Kif Kid Organisation, and they pledge to contribute significantly to the communities it touches. This is great for anyone who is in those communities who is a bit nervous to travel, because I think a lot of countries maybe seem off bounds because of just the way they are, or their rules upon this sort of stuff. So Morocco is there to be explored if you're in that community and they seem to be a pioneer in force. They're trying to kind of bring the travel industry to a progressive state, really, because I think we kind of brush past this a lot, you know, Instagram and social media and travel is dominated by obviously a lot of white people as well and people with money and passport privilege and stuff like that. So not only are they trying to highlight the beauty of Morocco, they're also trying to include diversity in that as well. And I think they are a bit of a leader for the whole travel industry as a whole in terms of offering this type of travel. And it's great. And I've got some other information here. They offer some tours around per person, three and a half to five thousand pounds. So it's not going to be cheap, but they have 10, 12, 14 days all around Morocco. And to add to that, they are trying to be negative carbon emissions as a goal of theirs. So their footprint is going to look pretty good going into 2026. So it's a good bit of news if you're traveling to Morocco and you're part of the LGBTQ plus community. Next one is the BBC. So I found some more information about tourists in Italy and the rules they're trying to bring in there. As I mentioned on the last solo episode about Venice's rules that are coming in, they're now trying to curb other places in Italy. I've got some interesting facts for you here, actually. So according to the United Nations World Tourism Organization in 2022, 50 million people visit Italy. Nearly one for one match on the nation's total population of locals, which is crazy, really. And they're trying to combat that with entry fees, group size restrictions, um, especially against over-tourism in the hotspots, if you like. They're kind of worried also about visitors and tourists being ill-behaved. I think there's an awful story about someone swimming in by the Trevi Fountain. I mean, what are people thinking? It, it does beg a belief, really. And in Portofino, tourists can get fined for lingering too long whilst taking a selfie. I think we all agree with that. Some other measures they're taking in Alto Adige, so a region in northern Italy, they're trying to prevent overcrowding by capping the overnight tourism. 
so to 2019 levels. Visitors to Sardinia must book a reservation to use the beach via the app Cure di Sardegna. All over Italy, short-term rentals have been heavily regulated, including Florence, where new short-term licenses have been completely banned in the city centre to help free up housing for locals. That's a very important point. I think that's a must for a lot of hotspots for places around Europe, but also around the world, because you can see that Airbnbs just make so much money. People who have Airbnbs may complain about these rules. They make double on the rent at least by doing an Airbnb. And mostly people who own Airbnbs are not our generation. So I'm all for regulation and making sure housing are for the locals. And here's a quote from the mayor of Florence. We are putting a simple ban in the UNESCO area to meet our responsibilities of protecting the cultural and material identity of the Centro Storico and to dampen the effect of rent increases across the entire city, which are directly linked to the boom of short-term tourist rentals. So there you go. Fully agree with it. Just make sure if you're going to Italy, be aware, travel sustainably, stay in the place, don't do day visits, and try and embrace the culture and invest your money in to locals. That really does make a difference, and I think they might like you a little bit more. Okay, business travel news, Europe, they are going to say that disruption to air travel is likely to stay at elevated levels in the next coming years, and it's going to be causing a lot of disruption to flights, and data shows that airline scheduled changes in 2023 were still around three times higher than they were in 2019. Clearly, the trend here is that COVID has caused all sorts of problems, and they're trying to respond to that, and one of the responses is because people are desperate to travel, so they're not ready for this disruption because they've got skill shortages, bad weather is hampering their operations, and also the rapid return of demand for air travel. The research found that 64% of airlines were investing in new technology to improve their response to disruption, and the main reason to do this was to improve the carrier's public image, 70%, followed by offering a better passenger experience in a way of being different to other airlines. So yeah, I think the experience I've had this year has been pretty terrible. I don't know what people think if you're listening right now, if you've flown either domestically or internationally, all delays, cancellations, ground staff don't care. It's a real interesting time at the minute. And I think because flights are still relatively cheap and people are itching to get away, especially now people get more confident with going out there into the world, I think airlines have to do something about that. Forbes article, another digital nomad visa is launching in March, this time in Japan. Um, some interesting stats here though, so don't start celebrating too much yet. Uh, they're going to allow a new visa that allows visitors from 49 visa-exempt countries, that's people like USA, Canada, UK, etc., to stay in the country up to six months, doubling the length of stay permitted with the current 90-day tourist visa. And they must earn a salary income of more than 10 million yen, which is 68,200 US dollars. And it's gonna start the end of March. Now, first of all, I still can't work out why people would get a digital nomad visa if you're working on your laptop, as opposed to just a normal tourist visa and turning up, how would they even know? I maybe appreciate that on a digital nomad visa, you might get access to healthcare and stuff like that, that could be worth it. But the extortionate salaries are expecting, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how much content creators make, but that seems a lot of money, $68,200. Is a stat for you. 17.3 million American workers describe themselves as digital nomads. That's up 2% from the previous year after exploding by 131% between 2019 and 22, for obvious reasons. And two thirds of digital nomads are millennials. 37% are Gen Xers, with the oldest Gen Zers coming of age and more than making up 21%. So my generation, generation before me, but also the older Gen Zs 
are already being digital nomads. If I was to start again, that's the way I would go. Next up, if you're looking to travel into Europe, the Shenzhen visa is going to go up from 80 euros to 90 euros. That's 12% for adults and 40 to 45 euros for children. Uh, that's going to be the basic fee in 2024. I think it's already been agreed and accepted. So just bear that in mind. So I think that will wrap up today's travel news. Travel story. Today's travel story is one of mine from Fiji, where I visited 10 years ago. Crikey, time flies. And this one's quite funny. So me and my friend Michael, we are both musicians. We studied at university, played guitar, and we both got our degrees. And after that, we both went traveling for six months. And part of the travels was Fiji. Now, one of the islands, we were kind of with this probably group of 10, 12 people, all backpackers, all having a few drinks. And we got told of a competition the following night which the prize was, I think, free drinks for the night or something like that. And the competition was a sing for your country. So we all divided up into our countries and me and Michael were representing England. And luckily they had a guitar there. So we had an idea. We thought, do you know what? Let's do Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix. But Michael insisted on playing the guitar. So I had to sing. I'm not the best singer. But I was up for it and I had an idea. So Michael kicks off with the riff and I'm singing the words. Lucky I can remember him after a few beers. And then I thought, you know what? Let's get a bit edgy here. Let's start dancing with the competition. I guess they're like judges or just people who want to watch, but they're locals. So for Gene women. So I started dancing up around, started trying to get them on the dance floor, singing lines from the song. They're laughing, they're clapping, they're at, they could not stop laughing at us. And we completed the song. And after a cringy performance of probably about two minutes, we shortened the song down a little bit. And me like getting real close to some risque moves on the dance floor. We finally finished our song. So we sat down, watched the rest. And at the end, it was announced that Michael and James had won for England. Can you believe? Free drinks for the rest of the night. And the Fijian judges, the women, just said, we loved your vibe. It was fun. We didn't know the song, fair play, but they enjoyed the guitar playing from Michael, my singing and the dancing basically was comedic value. So that's what we won. Wasn't really any talent involved, but it's nice to know that our degrees that cost about £38,000 each came to fruition in a dancing and singing competition in Fiji. Well worth it, I'd say. Guest reaction. Today's guest reaction is with Matthew Baxter. So we jumped on a call and talked about Japan. So Matthew lives in Tokyo. He's been there on and off for 10 years. He's a classic expat where he has decided to live there. He loves it. He's now learning Japanese. He studies there, has a job there. And it's a real deep dive in what it's like to live in Japan as an expat. So I know I had an interview with Miyuki Saguchi, I think last year, one of the most popular episodes I've ever done about traveling Japan from a local perspective. But now we get an expat perspective. And if you're thinking about going on the work permit, so if you're from UK, you can get a one-year work visa in Japan. I would highly consider it. Don't be put off because there is a lot of English-speaking jobs out there. So don't worry about that. This episode will give you an idea of what maybe you should be doing, what you shouldn't do, areas to visit. And also Matthew has written a few books and one specifically for Tokyo, which maybe you're thinking about living in, which deep dives into areas that are not very touristy. So Matthew's written over 40 areas where you can take a bike ride, have a meal, coffee, walk in a park and live like a local, which is quite rare 
in a city as big as Tokyo because you probably want to go and see all the main tourist attractions. I think what is key from this episode, I think we've all heard it before as well, for Japan, you probably do need to know a bit of the language. Now, we got by with about two or three words, and the Japanese are so nice, they'll make an impression on you and also try to help you out. But the level of English is not great, which is not a bad thing, so you're going to have to learn some Japanese if you really want to get stuck in to the culture. Let's put it this way. If I was to go back in time and get a Japanese work permit, I would. And I'd make an effort to learn a language, especially like six months before I go, just to understand certain things in Japan because there's going to be no signs in English. There's going to be local bars, probably pubs, uh, cafes and restaurants that maybe one person can speak English, but I wouldn't bank on it. So learn a language, I think is key from this episode. And I love the fact that he was very open about all the different scenarios he gets themselves into, why he's there, why he went around the world into work visas in Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Loved all these countries, but still felt a pull to Japan. And he also made a point that people get to about four or five years in Japan and really consider, is this what they want long term? Because it's quite intense. It's a different culture. And a lot of people obviously leave at that point or decide to stay for the long term, which Matthew is doing. So if you want a different perspective on Japan, check both Matthew's and Miyuki's episode out. Me and Matthew had a very, very shared appreciation of Coco, which is like a chain restaurants that serve Japanese curry. If you're really unsure in Tokyo walking around where to go, because it's just a bit of a gamble, really, um, there's no idea what this restaurant would serve, go to Coco. It's got a yellow label, and they do Japanese curries and other Japanese dishes, but you know what you can get because they have an app, or you can order through their tablet at the desk, and you know what you're getting and they serve for allergies, vegetarians, vegans, and stuff like that. I'll just put a reel up on Instagram, actually, with me and Matthew chatting about that, if you want to hear more. And I'm planning to go and visit back in April 2025, roughly. That's kind of on my radar, which I'm absolutely buzzing about, because we went there for a month about five years ago. And it's going to be a very different trip with my friends, but I'm really keen to go and see more Japan. And I wouldn't even be worried or think it's a waste of time to go back to the places I went to five years ago, because it's just that good. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I know I've done a lot of Japanese-heavy travel content recently. This might be the last bit for a while. So get stuck into Matthew's episode. And I really look forward to hearing your thoughts and appreciations for that episode if it helps you get to Japan for a bit of travel. Did you know or travel fact? Did you know or travel fact time? I've gone with a completely random place this time because it's on my list and it's on my radar. I just don't know much about it, and that's the Faroe Islands. So this is situated between Scotland and Iceland in the Atlantic Sea, and the capital is Torshavn. It's actually quite popular in the UK if you're kind of north of the country and you want to go to something that's a bit Scandinavian, but not too far. Faroe Islands are not that far away, and you could probably get flights from Edinburgh, I'd imagine. But if you definitely want to make sure you get there, probably go to Denmark because it's administered by the Kingdom of Denmark, in a much the same way as Greenland, so the self-governing overseas division of Denmark. And for hundreds of years, they were part of Norway until the 1814 Treaty of Kiel transferred them to Denmark. Best thing you see on social media about the Faroe Islands is just these islands with such green colours all year round, greenery everywhere that's sloping down cliffs, colourful houses, and it looks so peaceful. And I've got some great facts for you here as well. So it's been self-governing since 1948. 
and the islands have their own parliament and control most areas of lawmaking aside from defence, policy and foreign affairs. Now, whilst Danish is also taught in schools, Ferries is a national language and bears closer resemblance to Icelandic and Old Norse than Danish does. And the Danish krona is the official currency. There are approximately 70,000 sheep living on the island, so that's more than the 53,358 people on Fair Islands. And the buses are free, and the ferry travel between the islands and Fair Islands is very cheap. And you're never more than three miles from the coast. It's one of the world's leading nations in producing sustainable electricity, with over 50% of the nation's electricity deriving from renewable energy sources. Tinganes, where Parliament met for the first time in year 825, is thought to be one of the oldest parliamentary meeting places in the world still in use today. There are a total of five traffic lights in Faroe Islands. Faroe Islands consists of 80 different nationalities, which is incredible. There are only two international fast food outlets in the Faroe Islands. I'll pause if you want to guess. And the answer is Burger King and Sunset Boulevard. There are approximately 110 different species of birds in the Faroe Islands. So if you're a bit of a bird watcher, place to go. And many think the national bird is the puffin. It's in fact the oyster catcher. The Faroe's people have an average lifespan of 82.6 years old, which is 12th in the world. And 83.9% of people of working age were part of the labour force in 2019, which is the highest of any European country. The average temperature during winter is 3 degrees, and it's one of the highest amongst the Nordic countries. 97.4% of Faroe's households have wireless internet. The best time of year to visit is the summer months with really long days. All tourist attractions are open, and the average temps are hanging around 9 and 10 degrees. There's some cool content on social media to check out for Faroe Islands. I understand it's a bit of a left field choice. I didn't list the tourist attractions because they're quite easy to find on the Faroe Islands uh, tourism website, and I can't pronounce them. So get stuck in there. There's lots of adventure sports. There's lots of hiking, great food, uh, also quaint little towns. And Torshaven's a bit of a happening place for Faroe Islands. You can get ferries across all the different islands as well. And it's very easy to travel to from Iceland or Denmark, or I guess any Nordic country, really. So on my list. But definitely will be summertime and probably not next year, but maybe year after. We'll see. Brand updates. Right, a brand update. So I have rebranded jameshammond.org. If you pop that into Google now, it's a WordPress site and you're going to see that as now as my business site. So I've got wingingittravelpodcast.com as the podcast website. So all podcast stuff is on there now. And jameshammond.org is only for business. So what I mean by that is any podcast producing, editing, hosting, uh, anything, podcast management, guest management, research, whatever you want, it is available on there if you fancy it. If you want to get in contact with me, we can discuss some prices, some timescales and stuff like that. I do have a potential podcast I'm producing for someone else in the pipeline. March or April, we'll see. So that's in my wheelhouse at the minute. And I just want to give you a bit of an idea of the content structure for every two weeks because I realize I do pump out a lot of content and it might get a tad confusing and it's easy to do it in two week chunks. So at a day of release of this podcast, this is the solo episode and on the following Monday, it's the guest episode. Each Thursday, I release my YouTube episode, a different place in the world each week. On a Saturday each week, I release a blog which is relating to all the guest episodes I've had this year but I have got nearly 250 other guests that I've invited onto the podcast. So a lot of blogging coming my way. It's kind of there just to drive traffic to the wingandittravelpodcast.com website. 
Wednesday is my newsletter. You can sign up on Substack to search for the Winning Travel podcast. It's free. I do release some content on there that I don't actually talk about anywhere else. So that's pretty good. And pretty much social media is gung-ho. I pretty much release every day. It's going to be a, a reel or probably a photo of me traveling somewhere or podcast episode related. And shorts on YouTube will probably be a little snippet of the new episode that's coming out that week or of the current episode. So that's kind of what I'm doing content-wise. I can't fit any more in. Honestly, there's not enough hours in a day with a full-time job. I do have a serious amount of interviews coming up in February and March, probably enough to get me through to June because I'm doing long format interviews every two weeks. And yeah, so I've got a lot of stuff coming up, really pumping a lot of hours to YouTube. So if you want to subscribe to YouTube, please do, We Travel Podcast. And you can follow me today. I've got an episode on Venice uh, at the minute. And my real popular one is Switzerland, traveling over the Alps. And my next one's probably going to be Verona, maybe, in Italy. I'm thinking about doing that one. So you can sign up today. And also rate and reviewing the podcast, the audio version on Apple Podcasts or Spotify really helps as well. And on wingertravelpodcast.com is all that information. And you can support the podcast by buying me a coffee or sign up to my Patreon. Cheers. Audience question. Audience question time. I did have an audience question about my setup for podcasting. So I've now upgraded this year because I had pretty much almost three years of doing it quite basic. But I really want to invest in better technology and equipment for you guys going into 2024 and 2025. So what I have as my setup is a podcast arm, which holds the mic, which is a Shure MV7. And the reason I have a Shure MV7 is because it can be USB and a normal SLR cable which is the basic like a microphone that people use to sing and stuff like that. That gets plugged in to a Zoom H6. So this is like a little interface that can hold up to six channels. So if I've got like a big group of people that I wanna chat to, I could put that in front of me, monitor the levels, and that goes into my MacBook Pro onto Logic Pro, which is the platform I use to record right now. And that's connected by just a, a mini USB to the, the Mac, whatever that one is, Lightning, whatever it is. So that connects to the Mac, and then I have my headphones into the Zoom as well. So once I've recorded into Logic, I will stop, edit in there, export, and upload to Spreaker, which is my hosting site. Alternatively, I do have the option with the MV7 microphone to just have my headphones in and the USB plug into my Mac. I can then record on other apps like Spreaker app or Riverside and stuff like that, or Zoom. Zoom is used by USB. Zoom is my still my choice for interviewing remotely, which is probably not the best. I might change to Riverside. We'll see about that. And also for video editing, believe it or not, most of my content is from my phone, which is unbelievable, really. So I need to upgrade my phone massively because it's four years old. So I'm hoping to get an iPhone this year. But currently that's a Samsung, and that is on Google Drive. So I upload that onto the Mac and use Final Cut Pro as my video editing software. And all that is enough to get things out there every week. If I'm out and about recording stuff, I have a little lavalier mic, which attaches to my T-shirt and to my phone, uh, that's wireless. But I also have a Rode video mic, which attaches to my camera, and that can be used for like much more traditional vlogging techniques, or if I'm just sat there by the beach talking into the camera. And the camera I've got is a Canon Rebel, which is okay. It's not too bad. I've got a webcam coming to finish my setup for video recording. So I want to do some in-person podcast episodes for the YouTube channel. So I've got a webcam coming for that. 
along with the iPhone, that should be good enough for some video with my camera as well. And I just need to get another mic for that. And then I'm good, all good to go. Yeah, that's pretty much my setup. Travel joke. This week's travel joke is who invented the first airplane that couldn't take off? The wrong brothers. Cheers. Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with Tee Public, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as T-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you. <laughs>